Welcome to the Real View podcast, where Ohio realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first time home buyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our first episode of the Real View podcast with Ohio Realtors. We're really excited to have you here with us today. I am your host, Allison Wiley. Joining me is my co-host, Carrie Arblaster, and our guest for today's episode, Dan Schellenbarger. Hi, guys, and thanks for being here today. Thank you. We are excited to be here, and I guess that's my cue. As you can tell, we're still a little new to this, so bear with us as we get through this episode. So, Dan, first and foremost, as you know, the podcast is called The Real View. We like to ask our guests what their best view has been. What is it that you've seen that has just been the best? Well, of course, I want to say when I first saw my wife, that was great. And of course, (laughs) the birth of my two boys, Henry and Charlie, really rank up there. But when you ask me right from when I'm like, that's a tough question. (laughs) And so I actually think about this view a lot. Before kids, I call that BK in my life. (laughs) My brother who lives in California, uh, he's just a year younger than I am. Every year we used to go on a, a hike in around Yosemite and, and things like that. Well, we were around the, uh, the foothills of Santa Barbara. This hike is really beautiful. You can walk 100 yards and you have these microclimates. So sometimes you get the desert, sometimes you get the trees and everything like that. Well, we stopped at this one grassy meadow and it was, oh, we're probably what, 3,000 feet up or something like that. And it went down grass to sand to Pacific Ocean. It was like a minimalist painting. Absolutely beautiful. And why I'm thinking about that, when you asked me this question was that (laughs) the first thought I had was, wow, this is beautiful. The second thought I had was like, there's a house over there. That must have cost millions of dollars. <laughs> That's so, great. Yeah, that would be a nice view to wake up to every day. Absolutely. <laughs> so there you go. That's great. Thank you for playing our game. We appreciate it. Um, so today we have you on to talk about the People's House, um, which is the State House, right? The center of democracy here yeah. in Ohio. But before we get to that, I want you to just talk a little bit about who you are, because I think you have perhaps the most expansive collection of degrees that I have seen. (laughs) You clearly are someone who loves to learn, which is why we have you here today. But tell us just a little bit about yourself. Yes, well, I am working on my fourth degree, so I'm trying to finish my PhD. And as I told my wife, this will be my last. But I actually started at the State House in 1988. A story I like to to tell is that when I, I started, I started as a photographer and a media relations person. And I used to stand at the back of the Senate chamber. And I stood next to a member's desk, Tom Carney. And at that time in 1988, they still had spittoons and Tom Carney still chewed. So, so these were the spittoons that had been there for, you know, a hundred years up until this point. So that was still on the floor of the, of the Senate, of the Ohio Senate. So for those of us who don't know what that is, cause that would be me. Oh, can you please? Yeah. For real. Oh, don't know yeah. what it is. Wow. Can you See, please? This is great. Yeah. Can you please? So spittoons are like, uh, they're brass containers. They've got a bulb with kind of a, like a trumpet horn, although they're, they're more like a, not a tuba, but you got to think of a big, a big horn, like a French horn. Okay. Tom. And they, they're for spitting in. 
So when you you chew tobacco, you just spit into the platoon. And they had this, wow. this fluted thing because you wouldn't necessarily be a good aim. So you'd have to <laughs> It's got to be sure. wide. Yeah. So they would have to clean those out, but they oh used to gosh. have them scattered throughout the state house. And that was, you know, those platoons were left over from the 1800s. Wow. So That's so cool. They Did don't they have save any? Did they save any of them? Do we uh, have one around? I, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we have them as artifacts, but That's now cool. they're artifacts. But in 88, they were they still were there. using them for the real deal. So, oh my wow. gosh. That's yeah. fascinating. So anyway, I started in, in media relations and I fell in love with the state house. Talk about a view. When I saw the state house for the first time, it was gorgeous. And in 1993, they had announced that they were going to create an agency to oversee the, the renovation of the state house. So I joined that and I worked there. And as part of that, I started the Ohio Channel. Now people know it because uh, that's where the governor's message is, is a couple of times a week. You started the Ohio Channel. Yes, I was. That's huge. Uh, I didn't know that. It was a kind of an inside deal. I agreed to go on to do communications when we were about $80 million over budget. <laughs> and with that, the legislators at that time, was it Rife? Yeah, I think Rife was there and Stan Aronoff. And then, of course, uh, Dick Finan had wanted to create a C-SPAN. And so they tagged me. I just finished my first master's in television education. And so that got me that. And then I went on to get my MFA and then now my so. That is awesome. Well, thank you. On behalf of all of us who watch committee and session and other wonderful programming on the Ohio channel. Thank you. That's awesome. Lots of wine with DeWine. Yeah, that's, that's right. On Ohio yes. channel. That's right. <laughs> well, wonderful. So we're here to talk about the people's house, the state house. It's obviously the holiday time and Christmas time. And for anyone who's been at the state house during Christmas, they know that it is incredibly beautiful. They do a wonderful job decorating it and run all kinds of wonderful events there during the holidays. But, you know, we were curious, historically speaking, how has the state house typically operated in the past during Christmas? One of the things that's kind of interesting is without the crowds here, you can really get a sense for this structure. And one of the things that when you walk into the doors, you're walking into a space that's basically been redesigned to uh, be around 1861. And you have to remember that when Columbus was basically plotted out in 1812, I think something around that, we were wilderness. When the state house cornerstone was put, it was 1839 was when the cornerstone was laid. So we were still part of that wilderness. The town had begun to take shape, but you know, you have a lot of wooden houses and rows of these kind of houses. And then in the midst of that, was this giant stone Greek style temple to democracy that was being built. And the building was built to basically be a phenomenological representation. You, you experience the entire building when you walk into the rotunda, which is probably one of the most beautiful rooms maybe in the state, if not one of the more beautiful rooms in, in the country, you're walking into a room that has this it's a circular, so it's, it's wide. It's got 4,000 of these stones that make this intricate pattern. And the ceiling is 120 feet on top. So you're standing on marble. And marble there is to, to represent the foundation of history, the foundation of, of what we went through as, as a country to really come to the state house. So that goes to the early settlers. Then that goes actually even to the inhabitants of this land before the colonists colonized it. So you have that history. And then you have this tall ceiling where you're allowed to think of all these ideas. That's freedom. That, that's the, the ability to just imagine and 
America has always been a home of entrepreneurs, people who take chances, who think big, and there's this big space for thinking. But on the top of that, you have a ceiling, and that ceiling represents kind of the ideal of government. What that does is that protects us from the elements. So when it's storming or rainy or anything like that, that ceiling kind of protects us. So that's the kind of rule of law. So you allow all this freedom that's based on history that operates in this kind of concept of this government. And that is really the ideal of democracy. So imagine being in the, the 1860s and coming from, you know, if you're just a couple miles outside of the state house, you're in a log cabin. And so you're going to come here and then see this building like you've never seen before. So it really is remarkable. So you get to experience that now. And so people running around, you have this the space that not only is big in your eyes, but now fills the ear because there's not a lot of noise going on. So you get to really kind of just, just feel that. And when I've been depressed or upset by what's happening in politics, I, I will go to the rotunda and I find like, oh, this is the ideal. We have to remember that we're still becoming, we're working on this dream and, and it's not perfect and it's complex and messy, but you know, this is kind of this whole idea. Who doesn't believe in freedom? Who doesn't believe in this, this idea of hope and improvement for all. So you have that. So it's decorated for Christmas, but our decorations, I think, have become a lot simpler over the years. We have garlands and, and we have a few trees on, on the inside. It's interesting, really, we didn't go big Christmas until by the turn of, of the last century. So early 1900s, as things got commercialized. Actually, I, I heard this the other day and I thought, oh, that's right. Apparently, up until the late 20s, early 30s, Santa Claus was green. So if you get what? old vintage cards, yes. Green, wow. yeah. why? Green, yeah. So it's kind of a German convention, but apparently okay. Santa turned red because of Coca-Cola. Ah. So the Santa's red is that Coca-Cola did this big campaign. And we have an interesting thing in the state house. A lot of the walls are pink, but we call it salmon because it makes it a little bit more Palatable. Palatable for, <laughs> yes. you know, the men folk that, right. that, that work in here. <laughs> and people often say, like, why are these walls pink? And we're like, well, at the time, in the uh, mid-1800s when they were being painted, pink was a masculine color and blue was a feminine color. So you had all these pink walls in there to represent kind of blood and manly men, men, men yeah, kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And there was some, I don't know, but there was some sort of Victorian campaign that said that blue is boys pink is girls. So, and it's still our world today. I know. <laughs> Maybe right? it'll so, switch. Maybe it'll so switch things, again. Things yeah. switch. <laughs> so in the 17 or the, the 1870s and things that there's not a lot of Christmas stuff, but you get into like the 1910s and all of a sudden it's big. And actually the state's first municipal Christmas was in 1913. Governor James Cox was in, in the governor's office and they erected a huge Christmas tree that went in the, in the West Lawn. And then they also had a huge tree that went in the rotunda itself. And apparently for a number of years, decades, Santa used to be at the state house. You would visit Santa at the state house, not oh. at a department store. Yeah. Wow. You'd come to the state house. So they also called him Uncle Santa, which and, is And this is in the 1900s? Yeah. yeah. So Uncle, Uncle Santa, Santa, which is kind of creepy in some ways, <laughs> but it wasn't Father Santa, it was Uncle Santa. In the 1920s, and they had an igloo, a uh, fake igloo that they put on the West Lawn, and Uncle Santa would be there. And then they had mailboxes that were inside the rotunda, so you could drop your letters off to go to the, the North Pole. 
I still don't understand if Santa's on the front lawn, like, but they had this mailbox. Take it there. <laughs> but another curious thing was that the mailboxes, they had one for boys and one for girls. So they didn't mix them up. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, we couldn't vote, you know, yeah, yeah, until, yeah. right, 1920. So, well, that would have been after. So I don't really understand why they. Why they separated it out like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at this time, though, was it blue was Blue was boys at this time, right? So we weren't, boys, we weren't switching that up. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's really interesting. Now I want to Google a green Santa. Now, now I'm curious yeah, about that. You'll, <laughs> you'll find the old cards, the old postcards and things like that. Wow. So here's another thing that's interesting is that I don't know about you, but squirrels in my garden are a pain. Yeah. And so they're not as cute little critters as, as <laughs> you know, they're squirrels. So yes. they're fine. Yes. Well, the state house in the early 1900s actually had a budget. It was $10 a month to feed the squirrels because visitors love these squirrels and they got wow. to be oh so well fed and taken care of that they'd even go in the state house. So during <laughs> Christmas time, the governor would make a big show of dropping nuts out for the squirrels. For the so squirrels. He would feed, feed the squirrels. Oh my and gosh. Then here's another thing that they don't do for probably obvious reasons, but the governor would always, from the governor's office here, uh, which the celebratory state, uh, his office is still in the state house, but the governor would grant on Christmas Eve would grant a Christmas pardon to somebody at the pen. So the people in prison would all wait eagerly to find out who would be let off. Who was going to get it? Yeah, because of a Christmas pardon, which I can't really quite wrap my head around the jurisprudence of that. Yeah. How long did we do that for? That's interesting. When did that start? Years. We did Um, that for years. Yeah. It was, if if not decades, it it went even longer. And and so I think there was a certain point is like to link the holiday to part like that's Yeah. That's just a bit odd. That's rule of law. That's, yeah, it's kind of strange. Yeah. Shouldn't be doing that. So they would announce one prisoner that you would get out just, do you get out just for Christmas or are you like, no, no, you're pardoned. So they would would all, uh, we would hope that they would be, you know, worthy of this, but apparently they would give a Thanksgiving pardon and a Christmas pardon as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. We did two a year, huh? Yeah. I wonder what the process was to like get in line if you had to like fill out an application or. Yes. I have a funny feeling it had something to do with favors. Um, another no. thing we have no. is that we have long lists of presents that would be given to the, the governor and the governor would often give presents then to like, it was a year uh, that I read. I actually think it was James Cox uh, when, when he was governor, he gave all the press corps neckties and he would uh, often pass out cigars. There'd be Ohio whiskey that they would give. And, uh, he would get a number of gifts from, from people, but there was, there was one article, and I'm not sure if it was James, but there was a big deal. This would have been the 1910, sometime around there, that one of the governor loved chewing gum. So I guess this is when chewing gum came out. So yeah. a number of people just brought boxes and boxes of gum for the governor. The chewing governor was gum. Very, very pleased. So, yeah, so Wrigley's moment or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> Interesting. So, so oh, that's fascinating. Go. Those are great stories. I love Christmas and I love history. So this is so I could listen to stuff like this all day. I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to go transport back and like visit the state house in like the 1900s. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Yeah. At my house, we go wild. Every year we add a little bit more lights and we have all this this stuff. And and I love it. My wife loves a a big Christmas. Our boys love it too. The state house still has that kind of understated thing and it really works. And, you know, part of the decoration of the state house is the patina of history. When you're in the rotunda and you're walking up the stairs, the 
the stairs are worn down toward the middle. And those are all the feet that have gone up and down it. So when you're putting your feet on the stair tread, you're walking in the same place that Harding and Abraham Lincoln and Jimmy Rose, like all these big kind of, not only big Ohioans, but Americans. And then the other thing, now that it's empty, you can start seeing how the architect, like what what they were doing. Now, the state house was built without any really mechanical gear. They had steam engines for cranes and lifting and things like that, but most of it was done with hand tools. And when you look at the grout lines, and I just noticed this the other day, and this is, you know, I've worked there for 32 years. Walking down the stairs, I realized that some of the floor grout lines lined up dead center. So if you would look from, it's about 313 from the north to the south, 313 feet from the north to the south side. So when you look at the grout line from the north side and follow it all the way to the south side, it's a straight line. The columns that are on the, the sides of the building, there's eights and fours. If you look along the columns, like the grout lines are perfect. Like I don't understand how they were able to do that. And even the staircases, like when you walk down the stairs, the stairs are straight until you get to the bottom and then they start to gradually curve out. And just the craft work that went into this just constantly blows, blows my mind. And, you know, this is a realtor's podcast, right? And one of the things that we talk about is one of the reasons you hire a realtor is, is to help you sell this idea of a home, right? There's houses, the houses are four walls and a roof. But when we buy and when we sell, we're selling this idea of home and what that home means. And it can mean warmth and safety and security and family and all of those kind of things. And when I think about the state house, I think home means this kind of respect we had for government. And I understand the need when we're building these new buildings that uh, you need to be space efficient. But back in the day, they were building buildings to represent this idea. So it wasn't efficient in as much as it was like meaningful. So you walk into this like, oh, this is what democracy feels like versus like when you walk into a DMV and God love them, you know, what they're having to deal with right now and stuff right. like that. Yeah. But it's just, as, you know, you look in there and there's lines and stuff and you're yeah. like, ugh, government, as opposed to walking into the state house and you're like, government. government. Yeah. 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 In right. the people. That's yeah. beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-licensed course locations. So, I mean, all of our worlds are a little bit different now with COVID and what we're dealing with in this pandemic. And I guess the state house would have had to deal with a similar situation back in 1918, right? So as we are all experiencing this for the first time, the state house has dealt with this before. Yeah. So what can we expect if we were to take our families or wanted to go to the state house and, and see what it's like for Christmas? Is it different this year? I think I saw a tweet earlier today. It might've been from the state house that you just did a virtual tree lighting ceremony yes. and, and, and had that out. So what does it look like now? And and do you know any of, of what it might've been like back in yeah. 1918 when the last time the world was experiencing something yeah. like this? So last year, 
which just seems like so many years ago, right? Right. Yes, right. Yeah. So, yes, so last year we would have choirs here. This is especially now. A lot of the schools would be in their tours. They kids would just pack. They're trying to fit in their you know second semester. You know, trying to get this in and stuff, and it's just empty. It is, and and that's why ideally it's kind of nice to really go in there. There's no tours. There's no tour guides. So you got to kind of wander around in itself. And so the state house has always been a gathering place. It's been a place where people get information. You can't see this because we're on the thing, but I did bring this. Uh, this is a sword. This is a Civil War sword. This is actually from my my five times removed great grandfather. Wow! Was, um, oh my gosh! In the Civil War, and a lot of the Civil War, the people mustering in would gather in the grounds and in the rotunda of the state house before they would do their march down south. So it's a gathering space. World War One, it became a uh, a gathering space. Of course, it's always has been a place of information. We continue that now with the governor's, virtually with the governor's press conferences. While we were being constructed, we had a number of bouts of cholera. And there were times they had to shut down construction because the number of workers had died. It's kind of interesting. So we were plotted out and it was around 1812, I believe, or so it was late in 1839. But the first building that they built in Columbus was the state pen. And uh, and Seriously? part, wow, yeah, and part it was so that they would have labor to build the other buildings. Oh, so wow. a large part of the stonework was done by prisoners. Wow. Yeah, wow. and of course, you know, they were not they're kept in cells. Disease spreads rapidly, so there'd be hundreds of prisoners that'd be stricken. So they would have to stop. There is a story that's kind of associated. I'm going to make it sort of holidayish in that it involves chimneys. So when the state house was originally constructed, one of the things they did, and this was considered really advanced. So they lined the walls. Uh, so you had your limestone and then they, they left about 11 inch space. And in top of the, the right in front of the limestone walls, they bricked, they put this layer of bricks. So imagine bricks. If you knock out one of the bricks, you'd see this 11 inch space and then you'd see the limestone. And they, they basically use this brick, this space in there to create these pathways, these air pathways. And down in the basement, they had a boiler system which generated a lot of heat. And we have two chimneys on the uh, the north and southeast portion of the building. They're, they're super high, around you know, 100 feet or so up in the air. What they would do is they would exhaust the boiler exhaust. The, the boils would heat up all these heat coils that were in the basement. That heat would just, through gravity, rise up. And then the exhaust going up the chimney would suck the air out of the top of the room. So the heat chambers would be at the lower part of the, the brick wall and the air intake would be at the top part. So it created this air circulation and, and it was the first of its time that the kind ever built and they doubted that this would work. And when they first fired up the boilers, there's a note that says the heat rose in the building to a comfortable degree of 65 degrees <laughs> Fahrenheit. Wow. <laughs> so that was in January and that was considered warm. comfortable. Wow. So, yeah. That sounds like a lot of work to get to 65 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. So it was great. And people were like, wow, this is a way. So there's no fans or anything like that. Nothing to break down. So the other thing that we had, one of the first buildings in Ohio, we had water closets. They weren't on the inside. You had to walk around these balcony areas to get them. So, So we had sewers. We had flush toilets, as well as we had this kind of air thing. So that was all well and good. Well. Two or three years after the building opened up, it filled with just a horrible stench. And this lasted, oh, no. lasted for two decades. 
Oh my two God. decades. Two decades. In the summers, they would actually hold session outside in the West Lawn because the smell was just absolutely horrible. And oh they called gosh. it State House Cholera and they began to worry about health and things like this. Two decades. So we're talking about the 1880s. So in the 1880s, they found out that, oh, when they built the State House, they confused the air sewers, just these open air sewers, with the sewer sewers. Oh, so, oh no. Yes. <laughs> Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Santa wouldn't want to go down that chimney. No. Yes. I, I'm taking my thought back earlier when I mentioned that I really want to go back and visit it in, the, in this <laughs> right. time. Maybe yeah. not so much Maybe with not the, those, those issues. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not with those issues. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. So there's a little bit about how the state dealt with some of their, um, their pandemic issues. Wow. So cool. Dan, we could just talk. I, I could just talk uh, about things like this for hours and hours and hours on end, but we are running a little short on time. So I want to get this wrapped up. Is there anything else that we want to mention that we didn't touch on today? If not, I mean, I've learned so much and I just think yeah. this stuff is, is so cool. So yeah, I, I think I just want to reiterate, you know, the same thing that you folks do. You sell the idea of a home and that's why I use a realtor because you want to make sure you make the significant investment be the right investment and, and really serve your needs, which is more than just having a protection from the elements. I think in, in these days and times of politically trying times, whichever side of the political spectrum you're on, we tend to forget that you know we are all arguing for this idea of government. And, and government is what makes the democracy. So the idea of government is something that, that, that we all need to not forget about and, and really think about that. And I think the state house represents that, that ideal, that, that kind of dream and, and that belief of, of what we can become and how far we've gone and what we've gone through. We've gone through pandemics. We've gone through wars. We've gone through inventions and crises and we've gone through all of that. And a lot of the epicenter of the solutions has all come from the state house. And, uh, I think you can kind of still feel that within its, its walls. I encourage, I encourage all your listeners to, to visit the state house and think about that when they're, they're going through the building and remember this this idea that we're all Ohioans, we're all looking for the same idea of democracy, and this idea of democracy is about improving our society and improving you know what our government can do for us. It's so true, and that's a perfect way to wrap it up for us today, Dan. Thank you so much, everyone. Like Dan said, go check out the State House, the People's House. Check it out during Christmas. Check it out not during Christmas. You're sure to walk the steps of many amazing people that have walked before us. So thank you guys for your time today, and we will talk to you all soon. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We want to hear from you. Email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time. This has been a Humble Pod production. Stay humble.